the best told stories deliver a satisfying conclusion. The innocent are rescued. The bad guys lose. The hero prevails. But the story of Christmas is all beginning. God kept his promise. The Messiah has come. But that only matters because the baby grew to be the substitute and the sacrifice and the Savior. We rejoice in the birth of the King even as we wait for him to come again and make all things new. We sing today because we know that day is coming. The innocent will be rescued. Justice will be done. And Christ our Lord will reign forever. Merry Christmas. when I have to move the pulpit up. They have issues back there, so we're trying something different to see if we can solve some of the sound issues. We'll see how it goes. If it uh, doesn't go good, we'll just have everybody move up here and I'll shout. <laughs> oh, we can't do that anymore, can we, with COVID? We can't put people together, okay, so good. Well, it, did you have a sigh of relief after yesterday? Sometimes, some seasons you just go, oh, I look so much forward to Christmas, but whew, it's over. That's good. Now I can get on to, oh, what is there to get on to? A lot of times during, during the Christmas season, there are a lot of questions that you have to answer, like how many Christmas parties do I have to attend? It seems like every group, every Bible study, every... Every community group, if you work at work, there's parties or get-togethers that you have to go to, and you have to make some decisions about those. Or maybe you have to answer the question, who do I get gifts for? Is the family getting together? And then if they are, when and how? And who's doing the cooking there? What will travel be like on Christmas? What time are church services this year? Or maybe you've watched some of the Christmas movies and that great question, what is the true meaning of Christmas, is before you. But there's a more important question that we should be asking at, at Christmas time, but sometimes in the midst of all the celebrations and the good things that are happening, we forget to ask it or just assume that we know the answer to it. And it's a question that I'm sure you can probably anticipate. We have the manger scene. We're supposed to celebrate this baby that's been born and placed in a manger. Just who is that? 
Who is Jesus? Why did he come? The Apostle John thought these questions to be uh, of vital importance, so much so that when he begins his account of the life of Jesus, he answers them right off the bat. In his gospel, he gives details of Jesus' adult life, but unlike Luke and, and Matthew, he says nothing about what we consider the Christmas story, about the angels and shepherds and eventually wise men and all those things. But he does answer the question, who is Jesus? And why did he come? Because he wants us to know right off the bat who he's going to be talking about. Listen to what he says in John 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, and the world, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Who is Jesus? Right off the bat, John tells us, he is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. New Living Translation says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. 
There have been recent surveys that ask theological questions or biblical questions of population and those who call themselves Christians, those who call themselves born-again Christians, and then you get the percentage of what answers are actually biblical. When asked, did Jesus exist before he was born in uh, Bethlehem, of those who say Christian of all stripes, only a minority said, yes, he did. And even among those who claim to be biblically oriented, only 60% knew that Jesus existed before he was born in, in Bethlehem. So now you are part of that 60% because it's very clear here, and it's John's point. Before that birth, before all the fun things and the things we remember at Christmas time, Jesus existed. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, when he created the universe, the word was there. He already existed before all things began, long before his birth in Bethlehem. So the story of Jesus isn't a story of a man born in humble circumstances who was supposed to become a ruler in a backward Roman uh, province. The story of Jesus in the Gospel of John concerns the whole universe, not just a fading nation called Israel. The one who would be executed as king of the Jews was actually the Word, the self-expression of God himself. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That little preposition with is pretty important. It indicates that there's an equality with God, and yet there's a distinction from God close association with God, but not full identity. If the word was completely identical with God, it would be impossible for him to be with God. You can't be with yourself. You are yourself. So when he says the word was with God, he's saying the word is distinct in some ways from God. He's different from God. And yet John continues and the word was God. Despite not being identical with God the Father, the word shares the very nature and being of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John intends his whole gospel to be read in light of those two verses. The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. Who is Jesus? He is God. But as we continue, he's also creator. Now you've heard those, that little phrase in the beginning before, haven't you? Not just in John. If you turn to the very opening of your Bibles, those are the first three words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John comes back to the word as far as his creation. Verse 3, through him, the word, Jesus, all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Again, the New Living Translation says it this way. He created everything there is and nothing exists that he didn't make. The one who existed in the beginning wasn't merely standing around observing all the stuff that was going on. He was, in fact, the creative force of God in the creation. Through him, all things came into being. The Apostle Paul would say it this way in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. He existed before everything else began. And he holds all creation together. Who is Jesus? He is God. He is creator. And he's the son of God. Skipping way down to verse 18 at the end of our passage today, it says this, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now God's invisible. No one's ever seen God. I mean, Michelangelo could do a painting on the Sistine Chapel that showed this kind of old majestic guy reaching out to Adam, but that's not God. That's an image. No one's ever seen God. It's not because he's not real. It's because physical eyes can't detect him. Infrared and ultraviolet rays are very real, but you and I don't see them unless we have some sort of instrument that allows us to see the invisible but real things around us. The being and nature of God can't be perceived directly by ordinary senses. It's been made visible in Jesus. In him, God's heart and character are quite literally fleshed out for all the world to see. Colossians 1.15 said it very succinctly. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. The Son of God shows us God. He explains him to us. So who is Jesus? He's God. He's creator. He's your creator, my creator. He's the Son of God who makes God known. Why did he come? John continues in verse, verses 4 and 5. He came to provide life and light. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Life, the very thing itself, was in Jesus. It was in him, so it was his to give. In fact, that's precisely why he came. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and destroy. I, Jesus, came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And the passage tells us that that life was the light of people. Do you have that life, that light? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
He's saying, and he'll go on to say in all his writings, John will, that the light that's in Jesus is the only light that truly shines in a world that's dark, evil, and full of falsehood. But as pervasive and as hostile as the light is, or the darkness is to the light, it cannot prevail. It will not win. They can't extinguish what God has set alight in Christ. It's had 2,000 years to try, and it still hasn't succeeded. You see, darkness can't overcome light. If you have light, you don't take a bunch of darkness and then smother the light. If you're in a dark, dark room, you light a little candle. As little as that candle is, it pushes the darkness out. And that candle can't be dimmed by darkness. In fact, the darker the room, the brighter the light seems. Darkness physical can't prevail against light. And darkness spiritual can't prevail against the light that's in Jesus. Verses 6 through 8, the Apostle John tells us more about the light, but he introduces John the Baptist. He says, there was a man sent from God whose, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. So John the Baptist points to the light in Jesus in order that people, according to this verse, might believe in Jesus. See, Jesus was superior to the Baptist. He'll say that later on. Jesus already was in the beginning. John was born, and that's when he began. Jesus was the Word. John was a witness. Jesus was the light. John points us towards the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 9. The genuine light, which was Jesus, enlightens all without distinction. It's not just for the Jews. It's for all mankind if they'll accept it. There are those who refuse to come to the light. We'll mention that in just a minute. But if they remain in darkness, it isn't because there's no light for them. It's because they've chosen to embrace darkness and turn their back on the light. Why did Jesus come? To provide life and light and to provide a new relationship with God. Verse 10. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. You catch the irony here? He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And he came to that which was his own, his own people, the Jews. But his own did not receive him. Jesus came to the place and to the people that he had created and had the right to possess. And they turned him away. They rejected the one who explained God, created all that exists, and was himself life and light. But, verse 12, 
Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, there are two responses to the light. There's still two responses to the light. Rejection or reception. Reception. There were those who didn't recognize him, and maybe you could argue, well, they just didn't recognize him, but they refused to recognize him, and they refused to receive him. Then there were those who believed in him and received him into their lives. Which are you this morning? And if we receive Jesus, if we believe in him, if we trust him to ex and accept the gift that's offered us in him, he gives us a right to membership in the family of God. But please notice, he gave the right to become children of God. You don't become what you already are. To become clearly indicates that you and I, if we don't accept Christ into our lives, are not children of God. We don't become children of God by natural birth. Even natural birth to the covenant nation of Israel or natural birth to a devout family today. To become implies a change in nature. Something new has happened. Those who believe in and receive Jesus have been given the status of God's children. Not by creation or natural descent, but by a new and divine birth. A couple of chapters later, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, we'll call it born again, or maybe a more accurate translation, born from above. This isn't a natural birth. It's a supernatural work of God. That's emphasized in the repeated negatives in verse 13. A more literal translation says this, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Birth in the family of God is quite different from birth into maybe the family of humankind. It has nothing to do with racial, nat national, or family ties. It has everything to do with believing in Jesus and accepting him into your life, welcoming him into your life. Have you done that? You've been born naturally or you wouldn't be here. The question for all of us, have I been born supernaturally? by trusting Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin and welcoming him into my life? Have I become a child of God? Why did Jesus come? To provide light and life, to provide a new relationship with God, and to provide grace and truth. Verse 14. The Word became flesh. 
Now, if we know our Bibles, that's a very familiar phrase, but just stop and think of what it just said. All that he said about the Word, that Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. That should shock us. The Word is described in verses 1 to 5, was born a human being with flesh and blood, just like you and I. That should produce astonishment, wonder, hand over your mouth shock. It's almost scandalous. In fact, for some religious folk, it was scandalous to say what John just wrote here. The Word became flesh. The Word became a human being. So the Word, the eternal companion of God, according to John, God himself, the creator of all, life and light, became flesh, became human. Existing from before there was time, being truly and fully God, being all that God is, being the perfect revelation of God's essential being and character, that's the one who became a man. That's the one who came in a flesh and blood body just like yours and mine. That's the one who was born and laid in the animal eating trough. Some have said that the first response should be horror when we realize that, immediately followed by wonder and worship. But you see, the word had to become flesh, to become human. Only then could we see God in a way that makes sense to us. Only then could the Son live a perfect human life to substitute for our oh-so-imperfect, sinful, and depraved human lives. Only then could he have a body to offer on the cross. Because only human life could pay the penalty for human sin. Our sin penalty had to be paid before we could enter into a relationship with a holy God. The author of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 2.14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. John says, I among others were, was an eyewitness to all this. I saw this scandalous, almost unbelievable thing for myself. I saw that unique splendor and honor and glory seen in Jesus' life, his miracles, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his promise that he's coming again. I saw this, and I'm a witness to it. And as for us, Verses 16 to 18. Out of his fullness, 
we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace upon grace, more literally. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. You see, the wealth of divine glory and goodness and grace that's in Christ is an ocean from which we can draw without ever diminishing its content. If you're out at the ocean and you go and draw out, I don't know, a big tank full of the water, have you diminished the ocean? Probably technically just a tiny, tiny bit, but there's a whole lot left. We draw grace upon grace from the ocean of God's grace in Christ. One wave of grace being constantly replaced by a fresh one. There's no limit to the supply. Do you need a never diminishing source of grace in your life? It's available to all of us in Christ. Why did Jesus come? provide grace and truth. So it's easy at Christmas time with all the fun things we do and the fun stories, the myths that we tell about Santa and elves and all the Hallmark movies that seem to come like an avalanche at this time, about October, because it starts avalanching us. A lot of them offering, offering the question, the true meaning of Christmas almost none of which has anything to do with the true meaning of Christmas. Some good stuff, but just not the true meaning. So who was Jesus? Who was that baby? God was born. The Creator came. The Son of God who explains Him was in that crater. A human being Still God was in, the, was in the manger. Why did he come? He came to provide life, eternal life, to be light in a dark world. He came to provide a new relationship with God for those who will believe in him and welcome him into their lives. He came to provide grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that's the true meaning of Christmas let's pray Father I begin by thanking you for all the positive things that happen at Christmas time, sometimes so much positive that we're almost overwhelmed. A time when we maybe speak to people we don't normally speak to, we contact people we haven't contacted in a while. We get together with family, with friends. We give presents to one another. We celebrate. But Father, I thank you that even if all that is wiped away, We still have a lot to celebrate at Christmas.
We thank you that you've given us so much information about that time. We thank you that John has put it in perspective. We thank you that the one that we can ask into our lives today is the one who existed before we time began and will exist long after the end. We thank you also that he is the compassionate, gracious human being who understands the struggles that we face. We thank you that he's the one that died on the cross for us. So Father, today as we continue, I'm sure with some of the Christmas celebrations and we continue to move on into the new year, we'd remember who Jesus is. We continue to worship, be in awe, and be committed to following him. We pray that you would glorify yourself in us as individuals, as families, as a church family. We pray that the glory that occurred at Christmas would continue in our lives throughout this new year ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.